Let me get to what I want to preach. Now, I want to continue on the lesson of faith part two. Remember last week we talked about adversity. It was lesson of faith part one. And uh, in the conversation, if you remember, uh, about adversity, which is, you know, we were teaching about faith. If you remember in a conversation, I mentioned something like, if you're going through a storm in life, don't close your eyes. Because most of us, our tendency is don't want to see what's going on around us. We just close our eyes. Oh my God, I don't want to see anything. I don't, I don't want, because you're afraid. But I want to encourage you when you go through storms, don't close your eyes. Open up your eyes. Because I say that there may be opportunity and things that God wants to reveal to you in the storm. Now, I will go one step further today. Is that not only do you not close your eyes, when you open your eyes, watch this. You need to open the eye of faith, not just any eyes. Is that you need to open the eyes of your faith. Not only in storm, but in every situation that God will lead you into, that you will open your eyes to look around with the eyes of faith. Because eyes of faith is what matters. In fact, if you open your eyes with the eyes of your flesh, you will be very discouraged because the situation will be stormy. The situation will be very chaotic. And some of you, you, look, you open your eyes, you look at the eyes from your eyes of flesh. You will see that people will disappoint you. People that you respect and, and have a lot of hope, but they will disappoint you. But if you open your eyes with the eyes of the Spirit, you will see things that most people will not be able to see. Now, in studying faith, I wonder if you know of any of the individuals that I am going to mention. I'm going to mention a few people. I call them Exhibit A. I wonder if you know a person by the name of Shamor. Shamor is the son of Zachar. Now how about Shaphat? Have you heard of Shaphat? The son of Joseph, uh, Hori, the son of Hori. How about Egal? The son of Joseph. How about Pauti, the son of Raphu? How about Gadiel? The son of Sodi. Now how about Gedi? Gedi, Gedi. The son of Susi. Man, if I have my father's name as son of Susi, I'm going to change that. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Susi. <laughs> how about Emil? Have you heard of Emil before? The son of Gamal? How about Sether? How about Nabi? The son of Vovs. How about Guul, the son of Mekai? Now, I want to tell you they are from the Bible, and these are significant characters at the time. But if you didn't know any better, you'd think that I just name all the names of Jedis, right, from Star Wars. I mean, it sounds really funny. But these are significant people that you don't know of. We're going to tell you why. And they're in the Scriptures. We're going to look at it in the Scriptures later on. Now, I'm going to tell you Exhibit B now. So the category people in Exhibit A, I just mentioned the name and just remember the Exhibit A. The Exhibit B, you will probably know them better because they are the contemporaries. They work together. They are Caleb, the son of Jephuneth. Who? How many of you know Caleb? Okay, three people. Praise God. That's all right. Not, not Caleb the baby. He's sleeping right over there. We're talking about Caleb in the Bible. 
Now, how about, how about Hosea, which Moses had turned his name into Joshua, the son of Nun. How many heard of Joshua before? Now, you know them, right? But these are all the contemporaries. These are the 12 spies that I just mentioned that Moses had sent to the land of Canaan to spy out the land. Now, in Numbers 13, um, in the first attempt to possess the promised land, Moses sent out 12 spies. Now, these 12 spies are not just randomly picked people. They're not regular folks. Or, or I mean, nothing wrong with the regular folks, but, but they are actually people of significance. The Bible tells us that these 12 spies, they were the head of each of the tribes. They were the head. In other words, if Moses were the prime minister of the kingdom of Israel, then these guys, the 12 guys, would be the premier. Premiers. Or if you like the American way, you know, if Moses were the president of Israel of the time, then these 12 guys were the governors. In other words, they were very well respected by their peers. They were the head of their own people. They're not just regular random people. These are the guys that are like the leaders of leaders among their people. And yet you don't know them, most of them. They're respected. They all, the 12 of them, had the same rank, same authority, same status. Now what's the difference between them that caused one group to be so well known and the next group to be so unknown that if I hadn't mentioned them today, you wouldn't even know who they are. The difference is that when they came back from spying the land, they seem to have a very contrasting or different or opposing opinions about what they saw. The things that they saw at the most critical time of their lives that will set the course for their lives and the lives of their children and their children's children. And one group saw something that is quite different from another. And what they saw determines their own personal future in the generations to come. In fact, in century, century and millennials to come. Now, if I'm going to title my sermon, it is the sermon. Here it is. I will call it the eye of faith. But if I'm going to have a subtitle, and I do, is right up there. What do you see? What do you see? Now, what did they see? Go ahead and turn that scripture. If you have your Bible, Numbers 13. It's really small up there. I try to make it bigger. It still looks so small. How many of you cannot see? The three in balcony, can you see it? You can't, if you can't see, wave. You cannot see it. You wave your hand. You cannot see. You cannot see? Cannot? You cannot see? A little bit? Then why are you sitting up there? <laughs> that was a trick question, man. <laughs> I don't know who it is. I can't see who that was. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just playing around, you know. Praise God. So, here it is, right? Um, what happened is Moses sent them out, and now they're returning. Verse 25, at the end of the 40 days, so they were spying. It was not a quick spying. It was like they took the time. The end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. 
And they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the evidence, the fruit of the land, the yummies. Go ahead. 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruits. In other words, Moses, you were right. What you told us about this land is not some wilderness and desert. You didn't lie to us. And it is indeed flowing with milk and honey. And how many of you know that the promises of God is always yes and amen? The promises of God in His Word is always yes and amen. It's not maybe, but I don't know. But our promise is always yes and amen. If it's from God, you can be sure that it's true. It is from His promise, you can can be sure it's true. No matter what you think, it's true. Now, however, there's a big however there, right? I should have just emboldened our however and just underlined it so that, you know, we can see the opposition. However, this is what they say. The people who dwell in the land are strong. In other words, the people that would be opposing to them, fulfilling their vision, they are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. In other words, the people, the the obstacles in front of them is super huge. And besides, we saw descendants of Anak there. Verse 29. And Amalekites dwell in the land of Nagab, and Hittites, and Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Parasites dwell in the land of Hilkan. There's no Parasite, I'm just adding it in. Dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb, he's the one of the two, quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up there at once and occupy it because we are well, everybody say well, well able to overcome. We are well able to overcome. I'll say it again. We are well able to overcome. We are well able to overcome. Now, verse, verse, next verse. Then the men who had gone up, those, those men without faith, you know, they say, we are not able to. We're not able to go up against those people for they are stronger than we are. That's what they think, right? And so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out and saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now they're embellishing now. Right? So if you don't have good report, I would suggest don't say a word. Especially when you come to this church. Can we agree on that? Let's make this church a place with the atmosphere charged with faith. And you say, I, I just can't believe. Then be quiet. We love you anyways. You know, I always tell people, if you, if, you, if you want to be very negative and you want to always gossip and negative and critical, cynical, whatever, we love you, but we just don't want you to be a poison to the environment. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs, and I'm planning to say that. A fool, when he closes his mouth and shuts his lips, will be looked as wise. Even if you don't know anything and, you know, I'm one of those guys who don't know a whole lot. And a lot of times, I want to look smart. So what do I do? I shut my mouth. I say nothing. I do have a lot of opinions about everything. I do. I, you know, if, you, if you've been with me for a while, you know it. 
But if I don't know you that well, I won't say a word. Because I'll look smart. And that's the ultimate end game, right? How I look. I'm just joking. But anyways. So they bought a bad report of the land and they had that they spy out. The land through which we have gone to spy out. It's a land that devours inhabitants and all the people saw it and are of great heights. Next verse. And we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. So they're embellishing it more and more. How do I know they're embellishing it? Because Nephilim was destroyed during the time of the Ark of Noah. Now, if you remember in Genesis, you know, the Bible says that the angels had come down and have relation with a woman, uh, of, uh, uh, a daughter of the sons of men. And they produced between them, it's like a Greek mythology, but it's true, it's in the Bible. And the babies that being produced by them became giants of well-renowned people. They were able to conquer and they were literally giants. And so when God instructed Noah to build an ark and he said, only eight of you, you and your, your, your sons and your daughter-in-laws and all the animals are allowed to go into the ark. Now, how do you know that the Bible never mentioned that all, any of the Nephilim should go in? Are you here this morning? Talk to me. So there's no Nephilim. Because the Nephilim, according to the Word of God, were all destroyed during the flood. So why are they talking about Nephilim? Because they're embellishing things. It's like, oh my goodness, they were giant, super big people. They're the X-Men there. Some of you don't get that. There's no sin in watching Marvel movie. Hallelujah. There were Captain America there. Come on. So these guys are embellishing false report. And we seem ourselves like grasshoppers and we seem to them. And so we seem to them. Now, you see two different groups saw two different things all together. Now I want to remind you again, they, want, they went to the same place together. They saw the same thing. It's not like one went to country east and went, the other one went to country west. They all saw the same thing. And they were not just any, any, any Tom, Dick, and Harry. If you're Tom, Dick, or Harry by name today, I apologize. I shouldn't be using that. But they were not any Tom, Dick, only Schmo. You know, if you're Schmoes, I'm sorry to. Oh, it's so hard to be politically correct. But anyways, you know, but they were great leaders, great influencers. They influenced people. And they all heard the same promises of God coming out of Moses' mouth. And they all were given a task to fight by other land. They all saw different miracles of God up to this point. All of them saw the Red Sea were part opened by the power of God. They saw the miracle. My goodness, if you've seen that miracles, you will probably have great faith today. But they saw the miracle. They saw that God, you know, came down as, as, a, as a cloud of pillar, as a, a cloud of fire, you know, just guarding them throughout the night. And then during the day, he sent a cloud, sorry, a fire pillar. And then during the day, he sent a cloud to cover them, to protect them. They saw God punish those rebels at the fringe of the camp. You know, they were rebelling and, and God, you know, sent fire to, to, to destroy them. They saw all these amazing miracles. So it's not like one went to the, a, a wrong church, you know. <laughs> a church that, that never seen miracles 
And then the other one goes to the church and saw all the miracles. They all were in the same congregation. They witnessed the power of God. They saw the mighty move of God. They came from the same culture, same history. You know, they would say, they may say, oh, you know, that we were slaves before and that's why we, well, they were all slaves at one time and they came out of uh, slave and, and, and be, being a slave and become, become children of God in the desert. They all have the same experience. Why then they are able to see different things? I would submit to you, that is what they saw with the eye of faith in one group and the other group. They saw with the eyes of the flesh. In verse 28, let's go back to exhibit A or group A. Just jump back to verse 28. This is what they saw. They saw the enemies are too big and obstacles are too big. Obstacles will be enemies is too strong. People get devoured. Well, let me tell you this. Many of you have amazing promise of God in your life. And but the problem is that we start comparing ourselves to other people. And that all we see is our physical eyes. Indeed, true. You see the people that you're competing with or, you know, some of you are getting interview of a job or whatever. You, you look at yourself, you say, man, I don't think I can, I can be as good as the other person. They look better, they talk better, or they, they look more handsome, they're more fit, or they're more educated. And so you look at them and you forgot about the promise of God because all you're looking at is them with your physical eyes. And this morning, I want to encourage you, whatever challenges you have, don't look at the problem. Don't fix your eyes on the problem. Your gaze should not be on the opposition and the obstacles. Your gaze should always be on the promises of God and believing in His Word. And this people, come on, let's praise the Lord. Because this people focus on the physical. They saw city. And you know, the problem is this. When they saw the physical, the imagination stopped working again. And the imagination, unfortunately, is working on the opposite direction. They start to embellish what they saw in their mind. The opposite is true. If you gaze your eyes on the word of God, yourself will, will automatically begin to think a lot about it and you become more and more believing and you have more and more faith. And some of us have problem of depression. Let me tell you this. Depression is, 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 a, is, a, is a true disease, is a true problem. You know, there was... Um, there was a, a really well-known psychiatrist was being asked by a pastor recently. I don't know what, how long it recently is. I just heard this story a couple of weeks ago. And this pastor was, being, was, asked, um, was asking the psychiatrist, you know, because he treated, he's really well-known. He, he won a lot of awards, wrote a lot of books, and university uses his text, textbooks and his writing. And so, he, so he's being invited to this Christian conference and with all the pastors. And so this, pastor, this, this host was asking them, this host was saying, hey, is that a way to get rid of depression? What is the best way to get rid of depression? And you know, the whole audience, of course, was expecting, oh, you know, we're going to see, you know, some really insightful solution. But this is what he said, the psychiatrist. He said, with all the treatment that I've given to people, I will tell you what really, really works. If you're depressed, get out from your couch, walk across the street, 
help someone you don't know. It will be a sure thing. See, the problem with people who are depressed is because we keep looking at ourselves. And as you look at yourselves and you look with your eyes of your flesh and your imagination is going to start working and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I'm not saying depression is not real. I'm saying it is very real. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is that you can overcome that by start looking at yourself and comparing yourself and try to judge yourself and talk about yourself and comparing yourself to other people because that's very depressing. And we all have the tendency to compare ourselves to other people, including me. Especially in the days of the age of Facebook. You see people, wow, look at the vacation they are on. Look at them, they are on the cruise, you know. What about me? Look at them, they're so successful. Ooh, look at the new house they have. What about me? Because we're comparing ourselves. Friends, if you compare yourself, there's always going to be a huge opportunity for the devil to come and destroy you. So instead of comparing yourself with other people, no matter what the stage you're at, no matter what circumstance you're in, don't compare yourself. Go across across the street and help somebody. I'll guarantee you, life will look a lot better. This is the promise of God and this is a teaching of faith. Is what do you see? We are too weak. Here they're focusing on themselves now. We are like grasshoppers. And they believe, they absolutely believe they are useless. And here they are being brought out from Egypt from the most powerful nations just a few weeks prior. This is their first attempt. So they had come up to the, to the gate of promise really quick. Just a few weeks prior, they were just slaves and they had seen the powerful miracle of God deliver them from bondage of slavery. And now here they're standing at the precipice of the promise of God and yet they look at themselves as grasshopper. Whatever happened to the God who led them out of Egypt that is full of power, full of might? What happened to it? They've forgotten. Why? Because they focus on the flesh. They look at things with their physical eyes. So they can't see even if God would stand in front of them. And today many people cannot see the move of God. They cannot see the power of God. They cannot see miracles. They cannot see the miracles of God around them. Why? Because all they can see is from the eyes of their flesh. And while they may see something true to a certain extent from the eyes of their flesh, that they are obstacles, they are fortified city, they are people that oppose them. But if they keep looking at it from the eyes of the flesh, what is bad will become worse. And if they keep entertaining the thought, it becomes worse and worse and worse. To the point that those who oppose them all of a sudden become giants in their heart. Oh, so many believers live our life that way. We look at the world, we say, man, it's so big. How are we ever, how are we ever able to overcome that? They are so organized, so big, so powerful. But look at us. Look at what we have. 
is so little, so small. Now let's quickly go to exhibit B and I'm going to finish. It's 12 o'clock. In verse 30, Caleb said to the people of Israel, he said, we are well able to do it. Watch this. He was not even trying to debate with them about what they saw in terms of the inhabitants of the land or the fortified city or the people that are big. And so he wasn't even trying to debate with them about that facts. What he's saying is, whatever you see, we are able. Everybody say, we are able. We are able to overcome it. Friends, I don't care what it is that you have seen in your life and the obstacles that are in front of you. If you look at it from the eyes of the flesh, you are right. They will overtake you. They will overcome you. You'll be squashed like bugs. Like grasshopper, in other words. But if you look from the eyes of faith, you will know that they could be like giants, but they weren't. They could be like giants. You will be able to say to yourself because of the faith that you have in you, you say, I am able to overcome them, no matter what the obstacles is this morning. I think at the end of the day, it's really the heart, the faith that we have in us. Not just any faith. You know, in the, in the secular world these days, you know, they always say, oh, have faith, brother. Have faith, man. Have faith in what? What they're saying is have faith in, in themselves. Have faith in the system of the world. Have faith in you. Well, the, the Bible never says we should have faith in ourselves. Because the faith in ourselves is very new agey. We're just creatures on earth like any other creatures. We have to have faith in God. We have to have faith in His Word. Check this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. Now Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews now is describing what we've just read. And he is preaching from that text of what we just read. He said this. For the good news. Everybody say good news. For the good news came to us. That would be all the believers, just as to the Israelites. But the message was useless. The message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In the King James translation, I believe one of the translations is that they did not unite what they heard with faith. I like the King James Version for this better. But anyways, it is what it is up there right now. Do you know that every Sunday morning you come here and you come, keep coming back? It's because you've heard the word of God and that you unite it with faith. And that's why it encouraged you. That's why some of you are able to become more than a conqueror. That's why you've experienced amazing victory throughout the week. That's why it doesn't matter what the devil throw, had, had thrown at you. No matter what the devil had done to you or your family. No matter what kind of sickness you experienced. No matter if the fact that you got fired from your job or, or that you are struggling with finances. You're full of faith and you're looking forward to go back to church. is because you believe that that's the place where you get faith, you get encouraged, you get built up. And the difference between you and some of the people that walk into this church and they walk out in the middle of service because they go, oh, it's so boring. Oh, I okay, kid, there's nothing. You know, I just don't want to listen to this guy. 
And they walk out of the church the same, if not worse. The difference is that you hear the message by faith. You're sitting here, you're listening to me, not men talking, but you believe that this guy is a servant of God. You believe that the Holy Spirit is using him to speak to you. And so you hear it by faith. And that's why the message means something to you. Come on, let's praise the Lord. It's true. You know, sometimes we're not just, we're not, we're not doubting God. We believe God is there. Oh, how great thou art. Yeah, go ahead, worship team, come on. I'm, I'm winding down now. We just doubt the messenger. Here, this guy has no excuse about the messenger either. Right? Sometimes we doubt the messenger. Oh, is he really the man of God? Right? But this guy had no excuse about the clarity of God's instruction or those, that those instructions are from the Lord. Why? Why is that? Because Moses, who passed on the message, Moses was the messenger here. They had no, they should have no problem believing him because why? Because through Moses' hands, and this is very important now, through Moses' hands, there were miracles, signs, and wonders. Why is it important? Because miracles, signs, and wonder is always a way that God had used to testify that what is being said is true. Everywhere you go, every church you go to, every man of God you listen to, no matter how articulate they are, no matter how amazing they speak, but if there's no signs and wonders and miracles follow, you have the right, I have the right to doubt them. Is that scriptural? Go to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received is just, it's just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore the great revelation? This salvation, this is what we preach. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. How? God, verse 4, also testified to it by what? signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. If a congregation, if a place is not operating in the supernatural, you and I do have the right to question. And that's why I always say in this church, miracle is absolutely essential. The gifts of the Spirit is absolutely essential. I hope more and more of the move of God will happen. We've seen many miracles, but somehow lately, we have not seen a lot of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. I was so glad last week that somebody spoke in tongue and there was an interpretation of tongue because it proves to us that God is here and what we say is true. Can I have an agreement in Jesus' name? So miracles, signs, and wonders is important. Because if you don't have miracles, signs, and wonders, all we preach is just hollow. There's no proof behind it. So yes, it's not a good to have. It's not a nice to have. It's an absolute essential in this house. That we want to see miracles. Not just somebody praying for people out here. That in your life, you will experience miracles. Not just healing, but in every area of your life. I believe that God wants to give you miracles financially. And, but you have to obey His word. You have to see that His word is true. And obey His word. Then you see financial miracles. We are expecting miracles. You and I ought to come every Sunday morning 
expecting that some kind of miracle is going to take place. Don't just walk into here and say, oh, I hope, I hope we have a good time. But come in here and say, God, I'm expecting a miracle today. I'm expecting something happen today. I want to believe that. That ought to be our attitude coming here every Sunday morning. Come on. First Corinthians. One more, couple more scriptures. Paul said to the church in Corinth, my speech and my message were not impossible words of wisdom. In other words, persuasive words of man. The reason his preaching was effective is believable. So that you can look at things with the eyes of faith. It's because he did it in demonstration of the spirit and a power. And we got to believe that. You know, I want to be the best preacher in town, you know, meaning that I can be the most articulate person in the world. I'm learning that. I'm looking for videos, how to improve my preaching. You know, I watch my time, make sure it's not past a certain time, whatever. Right? I go, I'm, I'm trying to improve myself. I'm always going to grow in that area and don't, don't stop me. But on the other hand is that without the Holy Spirit, all that we do is hollow. All that we do is empty. You know why you feel life in this church? When you come and you hear a sermon, you go, man, man, I feel like I'm encouraged. It's not because I'm a persuasive person. I, I'm not a persuasive person, but I tell you what it is. It's because the Holy Spirit is taking the words that I speak and mix it and enter into your heart and give life to your soul. And that's why you feel that you're encouraged. It's not just some message of encouragement. It's a message of life. And that's why you're here. Let me tell you the key. Numbers, back to Numbers 14, and I'm going to close. This is my second close. Faith always gets me excited. We're going to do another topic on faith next week, so make sure you're here. Verse 20, I have pardoned them. So anyways, so the, the spies, you know, they convinced the whole congregation to rebel against God, and so they did. They just... Just want to stone Moses. And Moses was, he came to the Lord, God, what do we do? And this is what God said to him. I said, I, he said, I'm going to destroy all these people here, man. No, they have no faith. They don't believe a word. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to make you a great nation, Moses. And Moses said, no, God, you can't do that. You can't do that because your name, your name will have shame. People will hear that you brought your people out of Egypt just to destroy them in the desert. What kind of reputation are you going to have? You know, you can talk to God that way, you know. And Moses said, God, you need to forgive them. You know, sometimes we need to intercede on behalf of our fellow men. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. Say, God, I just pray that you forgive them, even if they've hurt you. There are people that have hurt us. And naturally, we want to pray the wrath of God. We like to be like, like, like Elijah, Elisha, you know. Set the fire of God, just burn those people, man. Shandai. Right? I don't know if you remember the story, right? Elijah sitting there and, you know, the king sent men to come and, you know, arrest him. He's like, oh, really? All of them dead. Second group third group and then the last group it was like okay okay please don't do that you know the guy was smart he was humble but you know we all have that tendency we want to call on fire on people right like the disciples you know when they were rejected they said god you know why don't we just pray that the fire will come down on these people who rejected you that's our tendency but we're not living in those days we need we need to live in the days that we need to ask forgiveness of other people so if they've hurt you they betrayed you they say something that hurts you so what 
I know it's hurtful. I know it's painful. Especially sometimes coming from this pastor. Sometimes when I preach, when I'm really going at it, I'm sure I hurt somebody and somebody got offended, you know. Would you pray that God forgive me if I said something wrong? And would you pray that God forgive those people who have offended you and hurt you deeply? Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. Because Abe, Moses was praying for those people that wanted to stone him. Like Jesus was praying for those who crucified him. And so God said, I have pardoned them as you've requested. The Lord replied. Yet as surely as I live and as surely as the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Not one of the men who have seen my glory and the signs that I perform in Egypt and in the wilderness. Yet have, taste, have tested me and disobeyed me in this time. So before you go on further. See, all these people, God forgive them. But how many of you know that there's a natural consequences of all the action we take? Are you here this morning? See, the people who do not understand the message of grace always accuse me. Accuse me. They say, oh, you know, he doesn't preach repentance. He doesn't preach about sin. He doesn't preach blah, blah, blah. And so whatever he preached, he's encouraging people to sin. My goodness. They like those tall, 10 spies always embellished the, the false lies. What I preach is the Bible that yes, he had forgiven all your sin and if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just. He will forgive all. Everybody say all. All your sin. There's no sin he cannot forgive. Now, there's one sin that Jesus said is when you offend the Holy Spirit. But that's the topic of another day. But while God forgive us, there are consequences to our action. I don't believe me, you go ahead and go rob a bank tomorrow. And that you are coming before a judge, you say, God has forgiven me. He said, well, good for you. I'm still going to throw you in the jail. And there will be no angels like in the days of Peter come and release you from jail. I can assure you of that. Are you here this morning? Verse 23. He said, not one will ever see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. None of those who have treated me with contempt will see it. When you don't believe in God, when you have doubt in his word, do you realize that God take it as a contempt to him? <gasps> harsh go think about it okay but he loves you man it's true now watch this this is the key now because my servant Caleb Caleb have a different spirit and has followed me wholeheartedly I will bring him to the land he has entered and his descendants will inherit it. now what is the difference how is it that Caleb able to see things that the others weren't able to see? It's because the spirit that was on him and that he had followed God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly, we're going to talk about it next week. But the spirit, he had a spirit, a different spirit. What is the different spirit? I want to propose to you that it's the spirit of trust and obedience to God's word and instruction. Trust and obedience to God's word and instruction. That spirit, in other words, that attitude of humility to believe in every word that God speaks. You and I need to have the same spirit if you want to see miracles in your life. 
When you have that kind of attitude, when you have that kind of spirit, if you may, you will see things differently. You will hear things differently because you'll be seeing things from the eyes of faith, hearing things from the eyes of faith. You'll see things from the perspective of God. But when you don't have that spirit, if you don't have that attitude, you have the attitude of cynicism and skepticism. Even if Jesus were to stand in front of you, you would still crucify him. Even if Jesus had performed all the miracles in front of you, you would still betray him. Attitude is very important. It hinders us from seeing the things that God wants to show us. And he causes us to see things that we shouldn't see. Final closure, then I'm really going to close. First group, exhibit A, seeing things with the eye of flesh. They are forgotten. Like I say, you didn't even know who they were when I mentioned it to you. Forgotten. And worse yet, the Bible says they all died in plagues. Meaning this, they were promised something. And they were going halfway. At the precipice of the promise of God, they perished. Never able to fulfill the dreams that they have. The promises of God that God had given them, they were never able to witness, experience it themselves. Them and their children. The word of God says they'd all perish in the wilderness. Unfulfilled, bitter, and went down in history not well. Second group, they remember throughout ages. They're able to see the dreams fulfilled, although 40 years later, but dreams fulfilled nonetheless. When they enter into the promised land, not only they saw the dreams fulfilled, it's one thing to see your dreams fulfilled, but it's something else to see your dreams fulfilled while you're healthy. Say if you have, you know, when you are 65, you've all of a sudden you've got, you've got $100 million, but you're sick. You can't move. What good is the $100 million? But the Word of God tells us that when Caleb was 85, he felt like he was in his 40s. And the Word of God says that he was able to take up arms and went fighting. <laughs> you ought to be excited. Because for those of us who live in the promises of God, you may be 85, but God is going to make sure that if He fulfills His promise to you at 85, you're going to enjoy it thoroughly. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be full of strength. And you're going to see the good days that you are living in the promise of God. That's the goodness of God. The world says, oh, make all the money and retire. Once you retire and you're sick, so what? You know, I visit the hospital a lot as a pastor. And I've seen a lot of well people, very wealthy, you know, done really well. But all they could provide for, all they could show for this is, 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 their, is their crutches or, their, or, 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 or the, 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 medical, the medical bills they have or, or, or the medicine they have to take. And, and just this just weak, can't, can't travel the world. When you can't travel the world, even if you have $10 million in the account, so what? Think about that. One of the things that I noticed being old, and this is my last story, and then we're going to really stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. But you know, when I was younger, I could eat 10 steaks or roast beef, lobsters. I could. I just couldn't afford it. <laughs> my body would be okay if I devoured five lobsters. Right? Because, you know, that's why I tell my kids, eat away, man. Don't eat away. 
But now I have some means to afford it. They tell me I can't do it. It's full of cholesterol, you know. Full of grease. But praise, oops, praise God. We are living in the days of Caleb. Everybody say, I'm living in the days of Caleb. Listen to me. God is raising up a generation of Caleb. You could be 85, but you can still take up arms and do mighty war in Jesus' name. Would you please stand? Hallelujah. God has a special purpose and plan for every single one of you. There is not too old. You know, there are people that are, after they reach 55, you know, they've been in the church for a while. They go, oh, I'm too old. Let the younger people. Listen, man, when you stop, what you're doing is you just start dying. Don't stop. The longer you stay active. You know, the other day, I mean, the Lord spoke to me. This is not a message for you, okay? The Lord spoke to me. I want to tell you how critical it is. I said, God, wouldn't it be wonderful one day, you know, I could just coast. He said to me, and I, you know, I, I said, it'd be great if I have lots of money in my bank account. That's all our dreams is, right? Never have to worry about bills, you know, just coasting, just coasting and enjoy life. And I just heard the Holy Spirit so vividly. He said, don't coast, son. Remember the guy that I call his soul home because he had all the things stored up, getting ready to enjoy life. And then God said, tonight I will have to request your soul. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? So the Holy Spirit says, the day you start coasting is the day you're ready to come home. It's to me. In other words, I don't have any retirement plan. Are you here this morning? We are to keep going until we see Jesus face to face. This concept of retirement is a worldly concept. I understand that. So if you retire, this is good because now you can serve God wholeheartedly. Are you here this morning? You can serve God without any worries about having to go report to a boss. You can, you, you can be free to serve God. You don't have to worry about being late. I'm really late now. Every eyes closed, every head bowed.